This is Opinionated, a roundtable debate that fascinates with each new thought-provoking guest, the place to convey strong ideas and at times the casual controversy. Join features editor Ben Schiller and reporters Anna Batakova and Danny Nelson as they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Opinionated Podcast. This is Danny Nelson. I'm here with our co-hosts, Anna Bidakova. Hello. And Ben Schiller. Hi, guys. And this week, we have Matthew Kalish, the president of DraftKings North America, one of the biggest sports betting uh, companies out there today, and also a company that has been uh, getting into NFTs in recent months through a partnership with uh, Tom Brady's Autograph. That's a Tom Brady's NFT company. And Matt himself is uh, personally really into NFTs. And so we're here just to talk about the scene, how DraftKings feels about NFTs and what you're looking forward to uh, in the ecosystem. So welcome to the podcast, Matt. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. And so I think we should just get right started with, with yourself and NFTs. How did you find yourself getting into non-fungible tokens like where where was your entry point uh from a project standpoint and then how did that start to translate into something that that DraftKings wanted to use as a business model or as part of the business yeah going back to the start of you know covid when we were doing all these lockdowns and you know life got really weird early last year a bunch of new hobbies kind of popped up with not just myself but I think a lot of people close to me and I noticed the core customer at DraftKings really also gravitating towards, you know, a variety of new different hobbies, such as, you know, early on, I was seeing things like day trading popping up in popularity quite a bit. Lots of talk about like day trading stocks. And then later in the year, crypto really popped up as uh, kind of an additional interest that really started to surge. You know, during that whole time as well, I was noticing things like sports card collectibles, uh, physical collectibles really blowing up. And it really wasn't up until very early 2021, maybe like January, February, when uh, NBA Top Shots kind of popped up uh, quite a bit more in my conversations. And uh, that was really my first intro into NFTs. At that time, I was kind of like, what is this? doing a little bit of research to better understand, you know, the technology to better understand the nature of digital collectibles versus physical. So on a personal level, I was still in the sports card market, you know, buying a lot of physical collectibles, hadn't really aped into any of the digital stuff at that point. And it really wasn't until March, um, like I'd say early March, 2021, when I bought my first NFT. And for me, um, sorry to say, I actually hadn't had a lot of infrastructure set up on the crypto side at that time. So I was starting from the place of, you know, getting my ledger set up, buying, you know, ETH, getting my accounts all funded. And I did all of that really to participate in uh, NFT projects and was uh, CryptoPunks back in March. So you actually never dealt with crypto before you got into NFTs. That, that was your entry point into crypto. That is correct. That was the like rationale why I set up my crypto accounts. So, uh, so that's pretty funny. I think that you're hardly the only person out there 
who's uh, really the, the moment for them where they thought, okay, maybe I should take a closer look at magic internet money was, you know, magic internet JPEGs, which I guess is redundant because JPEGs are internet anyway, or computer anyway, I digress. I, I know from talking with you and from other people at DraftKings that part of the appeal of DraftKings' own NFT platform is that potential for the huge DraftKings customer market, customer base, which not many of them are necessarily already into crypto, to have an outlet that is easily accessible on platform. Could you speak a little bit about the potential for you know, DraftKings to be having its own marketplace? Yeah, I think the what DraftKings really bring to the table is a large audience. You know, we have millions and millions of users who are, you know, every day showing up on the platform. They're playing fantasy sports, playing, you know, sports betting, iGaming products. And uh, what I learned, you know, in the early days of, you know, jumping into some of these NFT projects is that it's all about engagement from the community. It's about having, you know, that consistent, you know, like caring about the project, checking in, seeing what's going on. The hardest thing, you know, to the survival of any NFT project or, or platform, I think, is really just can you acquire and retain the attention of, you know, a large audience? If you can't do that, then the project kind of dies off. And we already had that benefit on DraftKings. I think the the main difference was that our customers are transacting with US dollars. So the accessible kind of uh, uh, the way to make NFTs accessible on DraftKings is to make it compatible with the account people have and with the currency that they have on the platform. So that was our challenge. And we started working on DraftKings Marketplace with that vision of, you know, create an NFT ecosystem that has mainstream accessibility that will meet our customer where they are right now which is they're comfortable buying, you know, relatively low cost collectibles in US dollars. I think that will all change, you know, that's going to evolve over time. I think there'll be a lot more of our customers who have crypto accounts set up, a lot more who want to transact using, you know, Ethereum or Sol or whatever uh, over time. But right now, we felt like the mainstream, most accessible platform would be one that our customers can transact with the same account and in the currency that they're holding in their wallet already. I wonder if you see any demand uh, among your existing audience for this new kind of digital product, and if you see any overlapping uh, between the crypto crowd and the crowd of your fans. Do a lot of who will be willing to buy those NFTs already know about crypto, or it just will be you know, as wild for them as it was for you when, when you first discovered it? I think it's going to be a combination over time. I mean, the big insight for us was that we have a tremendous affinity within our audience, within the DraftKings, you know, uh, customer base for collectibles. They, um, our audience love collecting physical sports cards. They love, you know, as NBA Top Shots evolved, even jumping into more digital type products. And typically a DraftKings customer is an early adopter in a lot of different, you know, technology trends. So. Uh, we saw right away that this was showing up in our research. It was showing up on the radar uh, in our conversations with customers. And we knew that we wanted to jump in. You know, right now, some of the platforms that have the most like amount of users are platforms like DraftKings Marketplace or like you know Dapper and NBA Top Shots because they take US dollars. I just think that there's a massive you know audience right now who 
are very comfortable transacting in US dollars. And at the same time, like we're seeing this rapidly growing, you know, industry around NFTs that are transacted in Ethereum or other cryptocurrencies. And I see that growing so rapidly. I think in the course of a couple of years, we'll just see a convergence there. But yeah, right now, I think it's kind of meeting customers where they're at right now in, you know, mid, late 2021. You know, that's something that we thought was important. Is there, you know, a crossover in the profile of someone who has, who likes, I guess, sports gambling and also might like to participate in the NFT market, which is, you know, it's a highly speculative area. And a lot of people, with, at least with crypto assets themselves, coins, will, some people will, will jump in because they believe in the technology and they're making a bet on that. And others are thinking, okay, well, I can buy it and sell it at a higher price, which certainly has been the case, at least in some uh, NFT projects. Yeah, my take on that has always been, you know, there's lots of different segments, lots of people with different like reasons why they jump into collectibles. Uh, and it's hard to just paint one to position the entire platform against like one use case. But what we typically find is like people are collecting these uh, like uh, digital collectibles very similar to what they're doing as a hobbyist in physical sports cards. So in other words, like buying things that they like, they're trying to buy, for example, athletes on DraftKings Sportsbook that speak to them. Not every athlete performs the same. Some are more you know, popular. Some have smaller audiences. So we're seeing just almost a similar behavior to what you see in sports cards, where people are collecting things that they like, that they want in their collection long term. And that's kind of a big use case for us. My question is, I'm wondering how many of your existing audience would be willing to walk that extra mile when you need to get yourself a crypto wallet, you need to go somewhere and buy ETH. You don't even understand what ETH is, but uh, here you are. And then you need to make sure that your wallet is secure and that, you know, nobody is uh, stealing your precious NFTs from you. Well, you know, at the same time, you can still buy your good old physical cards and just be happy about that. So I'm, I'm, I'm just curious how willing you think your audience is to, you know, kind of make this slip to a new format of collecting stuff. Yeah, I mean, everyone, not everyone, but, you know, a lot of us grew up collecting sports cards or memorabilia and like for decades have been used to that. And it is a little strange jumping into digital at first. People will often ask, you know, the same questions in the first couple of weeks, like, can't I just right click and save this uh, asset or whatever? You know, you get the same questions. Which and, you can do, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I own this now. I right clicked and saved it. But quickly, you learn that that's not really what this is, you know. Um, so the best way to describe it, I think, would be over time, I think more and more people will view digital collectibles as the same as physical, but it's a fast growing emerging market right now. And so we're seeing rapid adoption and it's a lot of first time digital collectible buyers right now. And they have very novice questions often like, and they want some customer support. They want some safeguard. I think that's what DraftKings Marketplace creates is like a, an experience that has some degree of like a, a support. You're not pure Wild West. You know, you can use the DraftKings customer support team to get help. We have some guardrails so that you can't make like huge mistakes with, oops, I burned my, you know, expensive asset off into the ether. 
or, you know, I, I gave my seed phrase to someone like our customers aren't dealing with any of that. However, by the end of the year, DraftKings is launching, you know, the ability to off ramp NFTs onto the Ethereum mainnet. And I think at that point, you know, our users will be taking, if they choose to, you know, taking on that sort of autonomy to manage their assets uh, off platform. Matthew, I'm just uh, curious, at the moment you have this marketplace for the NFTs as a separate sort of entity to, you know, the kind of mainstream business. I'm wondering if you see some convergence over time. You talked about ability to off-ramp to, to, to mainnet. I mean, do you see crypto becoming more part of the mainstream DraftKing uh, business over time? Are you sort of learning from this NFT project and allowing um, sort of crypto concepts to come into the mainstream business? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a couple aspects to that. Like there's a I guess you would say payments aspect, which is, you know, we often get the question, can I use Ethereum or Bitcoin to, to deposit on DraftKings or to buy things uh, in the marketplace? And we would love to do that. That's something that we're pursuing. Like we would love to accept crypto payments. Our industry is highly regulated and there are certain rules. So we have to go through a process in order to be able to do that. And maybe it's a little bit of a higher bar in our industry, uh, given how much regulation to get something like new payment methods through than, than a lot of customers would expect. But we're working really hard on that because it's something we get asked a lot. Uh, and then I think there's another sort of question in there, which is like blockchain tech in general, and how does that apply to DraftKings and, and our technology stack and what are the use cases for that inside of DraftKings. And that's also something that we're really going after uh, quite aggressively. We acquired a team uh, from Scarcity Labs. They had a platform called Ephemera. So we brought them on to initiate our sort of blockchain technology team at DraftKings, and we've been aggressively recruiting. We have roles across you know, technology, product development, operations, creative, uh, and design. You know, got community management. If you go on DraftKings right now, we have you know dozens of roles that we're hiring right now to really build up this side of the business. Interesting. And can you give us any more of a kind of hint as to how you might integrate crypto into the business? I mean, other than just payments? Yeah. I don't think that there's anything I can share yet. Now that we're public, there's so much rules that we just can't always kind of share our roadmap in full. But what I can say is we want to take on a lot more in-house projects our relationship with Autograph is a, they're a supplier of NFT content that we distribute on DraftKings Marketplace. And they have relationships for like name, image, likeness, variety of different rights with some of our audience's favorite athletes. So it's a really like appealing piece of content for our audience. And I think we'll do more deals like that with third-party NFT content providers. And then also DraftKings in-house, we have our own initiatives that we're kicking off. I think we're really in, even though we didn't like slap beta on the product, I think that's kind of the stage we're at is first inning. We have a tremendous roadmap ahead. We're going to be four or five Xing the team by the end of the year. If you just go to the job board on DraftKings, you'll see that right now. So really exciting future, I think. And the next you know three, six months should be really exciting. How are you seeing the sports leagues thinking about NFTs. Certain athletes have obviously gotten on board in signing those name image likeness deals, but are we moving toward a place where actual franchises will be following that lead as well? Yeah, I think there's a, a flurry of activity right now. You see, you know, with Dapper Labs, for example, or with So Rare, you see a little bit of these deals starting to shape up and they look like small bites of the apple, kind of, you know. 
you know, Dapper, for example, they get rights to make NFT content off of highlights, like game highlights, which is a very small segment of the content that leagues can give rights to, you know, if you think about it. So rare as well. They want to run games off of, you know, NFT content that has league IP or athlete IP. You start to see a little bit of those deals shaping up in the market. And I would say small bites of the Apple. And there's a lot of opportunity in that uh, lane. And the sophistication level as well, just about, you know, the opportunity in NFT, the, the blockchain technology, et cetera. I think the sophistication level is growing, but still very early stage. So when our teams are doing business development or in conversations, it's often a very low level of, of insight into what this industry even is. So I think people see the consumers are excited about it or starting to be more and more excited about it. They see maybe in some cases financial opportunity to monetize IP, but don't really know how to do it. So it's really at that stage now, where I think leagues are, are trying to navigate like what's their best play in the NFT space. By the way, talking about the intellectual property, there's been a lot of talk uh, recently about like what exactly owning an NFT gives to you. Uh, some people would argue that you know it, it really has value in case of it's being art. The real value is when you own that intellectual property and you can use it, not just collect it and store it on your computer or on whatever cloud storage it is, but actually use it. So what happens with the intellectual property with your NFTs? What exactly people would be buying by buying your NFTs other than digital bragging rights that they paid this amount of Ether for this uh, JPEG image, which is stored where? DraftKings Marketplace is on Polygon on the Layer 2 solution, which we rolled out just to have kind of very limited or, or basically no fees. So we didn't want to deal with the gas fees uh, for low cost collectibles. And we're selling things that cost $12. So when somebody comes on and they, they want to mint something in a drop that's 12 US dollars, the idea of paying whatever it is, I, I bought something today, it was a $120 gas fee. So the idea of paying like 10x gas fee is kind of intimidating. It would really kill the value prop for a customer. I think it's so hard to characterize because all customers have different thoughts in their head about why they're participating in NFT projects. A lot of people are doing it from a, like an art slash collectible standpoint. That's a huge use case. And it's no, no different than, you know, I have literally bookcases of sports cards and, and non-sports cards behind me that just are in my office that are just like sealed product. And I'm keeping them because I'm a collector. I can tell you, like, even from personal experience, a lot of the projects I've jumped into where I thought the community was really like interesting and I wanted to be a part of something. It's like CryptoPunks, I thought was, this is a, a really cool community. I like the conversations that are going on in Discord. I like the people that I'm talking to. I jumped into like a Telegram room with a group of, that's now 62 people that own CryptoPunks. It's like some of my best friends now are people that I'm in the same projects with. So there's a social use case, like being a part of something that's going on in culture that drive a lot of people. And so it's hard to just characterize it one way, I think. Certainly the buyers have different things in mind when they are willing to buy that. But like what exactly they are getting for their money? There can be like three different scenarios. One scenario, I buy an NFT 
And my NFT is stored on some website, on some cloud. And what I get is just, you know, a digital token telling me that I have the ownership, which is basically like what I call a bragging rights. Another thing is that I have a copy of that picture stored exclusively on my computer and nobody else get access to it or however you can arrange that. The third situation can be, I don't just own that picture. I also own the intellectual property that is part of it. And I can like use the design or use that image if I want to generate some other stuff using it, which is a totally separate situation, very different, which in these three scenarios, there are different values of, of the thing. You see, so, so my question is what exactly people are buying when they are buying your NFTs? Well, it probably depends what project. So if you're looking at something like Autograph, the drops that we've done for Tom Brady, for Tiger Woods, the recent drops over the past few weeks, it's a collectible. And I think that a lot of people, especially like early on, I've noticed a lot of uh, people as they're learning about NFTs, they look for this very literal definition of like, technically, what do I get when I buy this? Isn't it just my name is on or my you know ID number is on the blockchain that says I own this? Why do I care about that? But so many things in life are that, you know, I have a 10 cent piece of cardboard that I sent to a grading company for $20. And now I have a sports card worth you know, $20,000 because somebody will, they value it at that level. Like, why is my diploma from, if I went to Columbia undergrad, why is that special to have a four cent piece of, you know, cardboard with a diploma on it? Why is that more valuable than some other school? So I think people build connections with their collectibles or they build like certain IP has higher value than others. And what that speaks to, to me is really, um, can you take something like, you know, name, image, likeness, or other creative ideas and build a product that people put value on. That's really what the core question is in so many NFT projects. So the answer is bragging rights still. I don't, I mean, is that how you would characterize art, for example? Like if somebody buys art in their home, bragging rights? Because yes, I would say that's a big use case. I guess in some instances, I'm thinking in crypto, it certainly is. I know like Justin Sun has bought a Picasso. I don't think that he bought the Picasso because he's a gigantic fan of Picasso. I might be wrong there and I apologize. No, no, yeah, it's all doing. I mean, but the one fact of owning a Picasso is you get to say, look at me, I own a Picasso, which I certainly would like to be able to do. Oh, you not, still enjoy that Picasso in your giant uh, living room. Well, it's actually a little different there. He was, I saw him at a Christie's talk a, a bit ago. And he talked about, he doesn't have custody of this Picasso. It's kept in this like free trade zone in a port. And he, in order to view it, he has to, you know, arrange a time to see it. And then he can drive many hours to go there. And then he's allowed to see it for X amount of time. So it's not even in his living room. Literally all he gets is the bragging rights. Kind of lame, Justin son. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's astonishing how so much of the world works exactly like that, though. Like, think about why does somebody have a nice watch? Why does somebody have a, an engagement ring that they got that they think is going to be impressive to people that look at it or a car or a house or whatever? So many things in life are about building up these things around you that showcase your identity and like what's important to you. 
And for a lot of people, it's collectibles, it's art, it's like these sort of things like really form their identity. And now with NFT, it's even become just so much stronger than anything I've really ever seen on the community front, at least that I know of. Maybe I'm not in the club, but there's not a big like Picasso owner discord room or community where you're like hanging out with the Picasso owners. Well, these people people hang out in different spaces. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that they do. They're like the fancy art collectors that are sitting back. But if you're in Board Apes Yacht Club, you have people getting tattoos. It's a rabid community. And I think that each project appeal to a slightly different kind of part of your brain and a different audience kind of gravitate towards different projects. People who want to be a part of those communities or build out their identity in that way are aping into these projects. I think it's a bit unfair, this kind of line of questioning. I mean, it's kind of trying to delegitimize uh, NFTs by calling it kind of bragging rights when, as Matt's saying, I mean, nothing very different here in, in terms of a collectibles movement. I mean, this is nothing different from collecting baseball cards or, or any other cards. Well, your mom can't throw out your NFTs, but she certainly can. Not easily. Yes. Did she ever, were any of your precious cards ever purged? Some of mine were. All right. I'm going to answer that, Ben. Well. I do think it's a fair line of questioning because owning an NFT can mean owning different things, which means different value. People who are new to this space, I think they also should be kind of cognizant of how it works. Won't have them regret one day that they bought not what they thought they were buying or that actually they didn't do enough preparatory work they're holding safe. You know, the blockchain is uh, the transparency world, so. So, but there's two different questions there. One is the kind of technical legal question, i.e., you know, what do you actually own when you buy an NFT? And then there's a kind of whole other basket of questions around, you know, why are people buying magical JPEGs on, on the internet? And there seems to be a kind of movement to delegitimize NFTs by calling them kind of digital JPEGs when that's no real difference, as Matt was saying from collecting uh, baseball cards or pieces of artwork. One difference is when you have a physical collectible card, your mom can throw it away. Still, you know, that that drawer you store in it in, you know where they are. While you might not know where exactly your digital card is, and if the website it's stored in gets down, what exactly do you own? If somebody hack their server and purge the entire treasury, what exactly do you own? I just think it's a valuable question to understand what exactly do you get. But I think this whole distinction between something being uh, tangible and intangible, because it's offline and online, I think it's kind of a bit of an old sort of idea. I think the, the online world is just as tangible as the physical world these days. And I think COVID has really proved that point to people. So we've got yeah, metaverse versus meat space, basically. Yeah, I think we're scratching the surface as well of what is really possible in NFTs at this point. It's a pretty flexible framework, right? You can do a lot of different things in a smart contract with an NFT. I'll give you a few examples. Like Gary Vaynerchuk, who I do this podcast with, has a project called VFriends. Like when you own a VFriend NFT, you can redeem those for things like conference admission. He has like courtside tickets, like go with me to a Knicks game, you know, NFTs. So he put a bunch of utility into his project and the holders can redeem that utility. And it's all part of the contract. I've seen projects like CyberCong. If you buy a Genesis 
CyberCon. By the way, all this stuff sounds crazy if you don't know the space or you don't know the projects. The first time this was explained to me, you know, I was like, what is this? So you buy a Genesis CyberCon, it yields banana tokens. You can sell the banana tokens on SushiSwap for now, if you hold one, you're making like $1,200 a day of banana tokens. And no, so what, there's are, no wonder the regulators want to crack down. They hear that sentence and they're like, yeah, they're oh, like, no. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, you can spend your banana tokens to rename your NFT. You can <laughs> um, spend banana tokens to make baby Kongs. So they built a lot of functionality into the contract. Some are just, you know, likeness of a collectible. It's like um, if you th- buy a CryptoPunk, you're just getting the likeness of the CryptoPunk and nothing else, you know? Banana token, the, the naming is so precise. I, I admire it. Yeah, it's clever. You know, some of these teams are smart. And scratching the surface, I mean, so rare is a great example. They're building games off of NFTs that you own in the soccer space. I think it's endless how far some developers may go with the tech given how flexible it is. And as more innovation comes out, I think the, the power of you know the contracting on the Ethereum blockchain, will, will that will become more evident, like how flexible and powerful that can be. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You know, what, what kind of relationship these NFTs can, can have to real life? Like a crazy one. There's actually two really interesting art projects, I think, out there. One is Damien Hurst has this thing called Currency. Sometime next year, it's like polka dots, basically. It's a, a painting with polka dots. Uh, 10,000 NFTs exist. And sometime next year, you'll have to decide if you want to burn your NFT and he'll mail you the physical painting, or you can have him literally burn the painting and keep the NFT. And he's like a real artist. Damien Hurst is serious. Another one that uh, I jumped into was this thing called Tom Sachs Rocket Factory, which is a crazy project. You collect a nose cone, a body, and a tail of a rocket. And then you burn all three to get a rocket NFT, a single rocket NFT back. Then you can go on his site, schedule it for a launch. He physically makes the rocket with the design that you have. And he launches the rocket. Then he sends you the encased rocket and the video of him launching it and the NFT of the thing. You know, I've ever played with model rockets and SD's rocket. Or... Yeah, it's like, I don't know um, that's the hilarious. term, but it's like a model rocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. This big. Yeah. Really, it really goes. You should SD's at... is the rocket fuel, I guess. But yeah, that's that's cool. That's one. I went crazy on that one. Like Some artists are really jumping in and I think innovating quite a bit in terms of the whole, the chain of just producing art is just disrupted by NFTs in some cases. It's really interesting, some of the projects going on. What about you? Like, what of that coolness you gonna stuff into your NFTs? You know, we could like, launch oh. Tom Brady on a rocket. I think lots of yeah, people would example, like that. Yeah, for example, that's the whole thing. DraftKings Marketplace is a platform, right? Where, like, at its core, not about what content DraftKings creates. It's about what content everyone creates that we make available in the platform. You know, it's like an open sea, right? And so we're in the first inning, we're being very curated with what we put in. Part of that is, you know, we're crawl, walk, run, you know, we want to make sure that the platform is very effective in doing what we want, which is give mainstream accessibility to NFTs. So over time, you know, as more and more features launch, more content becomes accessible in the marketplace. As DraftKings start more projects, some even endemic to the experience of playing on DraftKings. 
I think it'll become just more and more look kind of more like call it eBay or open to like broad offering of content. And we don't have to create all of the content that's in there. It's a platform. Awesome. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. We're looking forward to what comes next with DraftKings Marketplace. And check out DraftKings Marketplace on the app. And I think, can you access it on the website too, Matt? Or is it just yeah, a... We place DraftKings Marketplace inside our existing app. So you could access it from, if you have a DraftKings account already, through the same app you're using to play fantasy or sports betting, you can access the DraftKings Marketplace. Same account, same wallet. You know, the, if you have money on site, you can use it in the marketplace. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, next week on uh, Opinionated, we're going to uh, have Matt back to explain to Anna how fantasy football works. Uh, yes, please. Just kidding. But yeah, Anna's from Russia. Yeah. Click buttons on people and pray. Yes. That's how I play, at least. That's actually a pretty good way to explain it. Click button on people and pray. Awesome. Okay, everyone. That was a fun guest. Matt Kalish, uh, DraftKings president for North America. What do you guys think? You on board with uh, uh, crazy internet JPEGs on a sports betting app? I think it's fascinating to see a relatively mainstream company invest so heavily in this space. And I was interested in what he said about having a whole roadmap of projects and hiring a bunch of people and having a job board at DraftKings where you can do all kinds of interesting things. I mean, this is a good example of a mainstream company really you know, backing the space. And that really speaks to why this kind of uptick in the market is so much more durable than uh, previous upticks in, in the markets of crypto. Actually, yeah, it's interesting that they are investing so much in this, you know, NFT expansion. While I'm still not sure if they know the, the size of the demand for these digital goods among those audience. So every time I see uh, entrepreneurs so bullish on this new space, I want to ask them, what do you do if that doesn't work? Like you already hire so many people and like spend a budget on that, but I guess there is no answer. But it's really cool how he is himself excited about NFTs and uh, the different kind of goods uh, these NFTs can represent. Probably he can infect both his company and the audience with that excitement. Eventually that will work. Yeah, and we didn't touch on it in the conversation, but from speaking with him previously, I know, you know, they are trying to find ways to make these what are the best analogy for like the NFTs that DraftKings is putting out are, you know, sports cards on the blockchain. But they're also trying to do things to make it more interesting than just that. For example, some of the Tom Brady NFTs that launched when the DraftKings marketplace for NFTs launched had digital autographs on them, you know, so... If you have a digital autograph, what, what are you going to do? You could get him to sign one piece of paper or one electronic pad and copy it 200 times. No, they had him sit and write out his name 200 times, and they applied that to the 200 different uh, NFTs. So it's still not a piece of paper with a signature on it, but a little flourish like that. And that's not even something that they've marketed very heavily, that fact. It's cool to see them thinking, all right, well... If we want to, you know, approach this new frontier without cynicism and actually think, okay, how are we going to make this authentic while still being in a digital world, getting Tom Brady to sit for 200 different signatures is a pretty cool little flourish to add some authenticity. Oh, that's being serious about that. Yeah, I appreciate such a serious <laughs> approach to that. Yeah.
I thought it was interesting as well how he was talking about creating a platform for people to come on and create their own uh, NFTs. That's um, that's kind of a different approach for companies rather than sort of thinking we're going to create a product and try and get people to buy it. We're actually creating a, a platform where people can effectively create their own products. It's kind of a step change in thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, um, that I think is a good place to wrap it. All right. Thank you guys once again. This has been Opinionated. We had Matt Kalish, uh, the president of DraftKings North America, a NFT degen since March. He's now overseeing a broad expansion of DraftKings into NFTs through the DraftKings NFT marketplace. And it's really cool to see, as we've noted, you know, these mainstream companies getting on board. Make sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts and uh, do subscribe on your favorite platform. Check us out on Twitter. We'll check out the Coindesk account on Twitter. We don't yet have our own uh, Twitter account, but I've been Danny Nelson. I'm Anna Baidakova. I'm Ben Schiller. And uh, thank you for joining us. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Baidakova, Danny Nelson, and guest Matt Kalish. Today's show is produced, announced, and edited by Michelle Mousseau with additional production support from Eleanor Paul. Our theme music is by Ellison. Have any questions or comments? Send us an email at podcast at coindesk.com or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.